This time on the Rule Right Radio podcast with New York Mike. And if people start looking behind the curtain, not being lazy, thinking for themselves and demanding more from our leaders, that's good. Even if it's so bad, it teaches you that you can handle things that are this bad. If it gives you the confidence to believe in yourself as bad as things are, then it will also give you the the motivation to do what has to be done to handle, if not fix, the problem. We've been here before. Let me clarify this. I said handle. Handle the problem. Doesn't mean fixing it. It means dealing with it. What do we have to do to deal with inflation? What do we have to do to deal with a military that, by the way, was depleted when Trump came into office? Didn't have enough ammunition to fight a war on two fronts. Didn't have enough ammunition to fight a war on one front. It was depleted. And Trump built it back. Trousers and motorcycle boots And a black leather jacket with his name on the back He does a patriotic podcast called Roll Ride Radio His name is New York Mike And welcome to the show This is Roll Right Radio on New York Mike Hey boys and girls and people of all ages Yeah, this is Roll Right Radio on New York Mike We just got back from Austin, Texas, had a great time. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about this Justice Contenji Brown-Jackson, the newest justice on the Supreme Court. Well, not yet, but I guess she's been approved. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about leadership because we've been talking about leadership for the last few episodes, and I think that's real important. People, we keep on focusing, at least talking about what the problems are in the country and everything else. And that's what I think it comes down to. But we have other things. I want to talk about that. We're going to get back to it today. Uh, I want to talk about the ride back. I want to talk about inflation. I want to talk about Elon Musk. And I want to talk about rolling to remember. So, yeah, there's a lot to talk about. Well, in the first place, we are coming back. And I got to say this, and I'm pretty sure I talked about it before. This is the 20th anniversary of this particular event. and. Like I said in the last podcast, I've been going for the last 10 or 11 years. And usually, like I always do when I go to someplace that's a motorcycle-related event, and I go to a lot of them. For those that don't know, I sold my business, San Diego Harley-Davidson, a little over a year ago. And what I do for a living is I do a lot of consulting work, and I do some other things, and I'm looking. People say to me, Mike, how do you like retirement? <laughs> I'm not retired. And I'm not going to be retired. I don't intend to be retired. I want to be part of the world I live in. And I very much love the idea that I'm here, <laughs> that I have a purpose. And and I don't want to knock people who are retired. I have friends who are, I think they're retired. <laughs> but it's not what I am. And so I'm still still very much involved. I do the same things that I did as far as, especially the motorcycle events and the politics. A lot of politics comes from being an activist. Coming back from Vietnam, I was kind of an activist. 
I think maybe more than I recognized, but certainly being in business in the world of trying to get things done and just being a citizen and you just got to get involved. As a veteran, I think a lot more so when once I went down to the dedication of the Vietnam Veterans Memorial Wall, but even before that. So as a biker, as a motorcyclist, that lifestyle has always been challenged. And so since 1963, it's a long time to be involved. But that's how long I've been riding motorcycles. Started riding Harleys in 1967. And so been involved in all these years and going to all these events, Bike Week in Daytona and Sturgis, way long before I owned San Diego Harley-Davidson. And so, you know, I'm still doing that. And, of course, I think this will be my 39th year because the wall was dedicated. The first Memorial Day that I rode down to the wall was 1983. So this will be the 39th year. Oh, my God. 39 years since the dedication of a wall to the 59,000-plus men. I think there were several women who died in the Vietnam War or soon afterwards. And interestingly, there was always a question of, well, who showed up on the morning report? So if somebody was shot and severely wounded and then shipped to Hawaii or to Japan or wherever else they shipped to to get their wounds handled, if they passed, if they died, were their names part of the 59,000? Or how many more names? And we always talked about it. We could never find out. I could never find out. Maybe somebody has information. Is it only the names that showed up on the quote-unquote morning report? Or is that all the people that died within a certain period of time, whether a year or two years? I don't know. And how many people died from herbicide, Agent Orange? But there was other things. I was hospitalized for almost a month with dysentery, and I came very close to dying. They were giving me last rites. They told me anyway. I, don't, I wouldn't know. But there was uh, so many things. So how many people died from being in Vietnam afterwards? I don't know the answer to that. But I've been involved on veterans' issues, bikers' issues, business issues in that political realm when it comes to bikers' issues. Going back to Washington, D.C. with the MRF, the Motorcycle Rights Foundation, it's a couple of weeks before rolling to remember now that they have their meetings in Washington with the legislators about biker issues. And, you know, I, I used to go frequently, and it was hard. I mean, imagine going across the country in early May and then coming back. So I would stay for a long time, and it gets expensive. So, you know, all these events, it's a lot. And you have the meeting of the minds and steamroller this and all that. These are all MRF events. I don't go to as many as I used to back in the 90s and early 2000s when I was state director of Beta, California. But I still ride to a lot of events. And this peace, love, and happiness is one that I've been going to for about 11 or 12 years. And it's a great event. It's different, but it keeps me informed about a lot of things going on 
uh, motorcycle issues, motorcyclists in general, and my lifestyle, the lifestyle of uh, the Harley and now Indian motorcycles, American motorcycles for the most part. And yeah, there, there was a, a Motogusi, there was one BMW, but you know, for the most part, it's American-made motorcycles. And this is kind of a different side. You know, the abate organizations, the Sturgis rides, is everything, a half a million bikes. Obviously, the rolling through, remember, hopefully we're going to have over 100,000 bikes. Last year, the first year that it wasn't rolling thunder, it was totally rolling through, remember, and totally the AMVETs. We had around 50,000 bikes, and that was astounding given the first year and the fact that they would not let us have the Pentagon parking lot. So we went to RFK Stadium, which we're going to again. And I guess there's advantages and disadvantages to that. But the AMVETs handled it very well last year, and I expect they'll do even better this year. These are events that encompass everybody, all the clubs, all the lifestyles. The peace, love, and happiness is a different kind of deal. And it gives me an insight into, I think, I got to say this, and I, I, I'm not going to pursue this on this podcast, but I am going to talk about this maybe later in the week even. The fact that Harley corporate, the motorcycle industry, seems to me to be looking to a different kind of customer. That's the only way I can put it. And I, I don't know what their thinking is. I don't know where they're going. I'm looking at things and I'm seeing things. I look, they're disturbing to me because I'm set in my ways. And I think that our quote unquote lifestyle is one that connects with the American brand. And that goes back to the, you know, after World War II in the 40s and and all that. I'm not going to get into it right now, but we're going to. And we're getting away from that. You know, in the early 90s, in the mid-90s, everybody was saying, oh, we're catering to a bunch of gray beards. What happened to the youth? Harley Davidson is selling to these old gray-haired 40, 50-year-olds, 60-year-olds. I, I don't know. I don't think that's the case because right now, the people I so-called catered to in the uh, early 90s, now they're in their what? They're in their 50s and 60s? Well, they must have been in their 20s and 30s back then. But that was the criticism everybody gave Harley Davidson is that, you know, everybody was so old. Well, we weren't that old. I was in my 30s. A lot of my customers were in their 20s and 30s. And I don't know what people were expecting, but they were criticizing us that we should be getting these younger, more successful people or whatever. And it feels like that's what they're doing right now. I'm going to talk about that more next time. Right now, I want to talk about that trip back. It was expensive. And, you know, we're experiencing this inflation. And it's crazy. But we didn't go the normal route where I'd ride to Austin and fly Petrina in. And, you know, we get her a bike from a local Harley dealer. It just wasn't the same, not being a motorcycle. So I said, no, nah, we're not going to do that. And Petrina really wanted to ride her bike. It's beautiful. She just had it customized and painted. And it's just really gorgeous. And she loves a bike and wanted to ride it. So I got a trailer from 
my friend Marco. Thank you, Marco, for the trailer. And my friend Mario, he got me a truck. And Marco and his brother Troy loaded the bikes up on the trailer. We ride across the country, leave California. And I said, okay, we're going to try to get out of California before we get gas. Because gas in California was over $6 a gallon. $6 a gallon. That's crazy. As soon as we get into Arizona, it's $4 a gallon. A little bit over four. And then when we get into New Mexico, it's down to three. <laughs> yeah. You don't think that's a lot of money, man. You try traveling like that. It's a lot of money. And I don't mean to talk down to people that don't think it's a lot of money because I think most people realize it's crazy. And it's not about Putin. No, it's not. It's about Biden. It's about this left wing in America that wants to get rid of fossil fuel. Period. The end. And they're doing everything they can to get it done. If anybody wants to deny that, call in, talk to me. You know, you could criticize me. You could, you know, write, you could do anything you want. Yeah. Uh, my Instagram account, Roll Right Radio, and any way you want to do it. Facebook. Well, we got a lot of people on Facebook. I don't do Facebook. Katrina got me on Facebook. She, you know, saying, well, if you're going to do the podcast, you got to be on Facebook. I never was. And then I guess it's been a year now. And I, I'm very guilty of not checking it enough and paying enough attention to it um, to try to change that. But, oh, my God, I spend so much time on all these social media things. I don't know how everybody does it. But anyway, I, I guess I'm going to have to do it. But the point is that this inflation is nuts. And it's really starting to, I don't want to say it's crippling America. It's hurting a lot of people. It's hurting a lot of families. It's really digging into all of our bank accounts. Our monthly expenses are going through the roof of food and clothing and shelter, everything. Interest rates are creeping up. They're not creeping, they're leaping. So we experience this coming back, not just in the gas prices, but, you know, the hotels and the eating, the food cost on the road. This was a big commitment. And... I mean, I'm glad we went. We had a great time. Got to see a lot of friends, a lot of people. It was a real surprise that Jay and Erica Redmond showed up. It was great. Good seeing Uno. And then, of course, Meat, our buddy Meat, had a heart attack just like two, three days. Now, this guy is a big, strong, tough, just retired motorcycle cop in Austin. And you talk about a brute of a guy, and he's in shape. He works out all the time, and he had a heart attack. But I guess they threw some stents in, and then he shows up at the event, which was awesome. And everybody was thrilled about that. So good spending time with him, spending time with Uno, who also, after 26 years on the Austin police force, he retired as a cop. But now he's got some really big job with Child Protective Services doing something with that. All these people that we know from riding motorcycles also have other lives. And it was great talking to them. Carlsbad Kelly, that's great. And of course, Brian. Brian's awesome. Brian Gates. Bodyguard Brian. Professional bodyguard to the stars. And just a great guy. So we get there, 
And I'm looking for a couple of guys. Actually, I was thinking, you know, meet Uno and uh, a couple of guys. And it turns out it's Brian says, hey, Mike, I can handle that. I said, Brian, we got to get these bikes off this trail. Mike, I can handle it. Boom. He did it. And it's kind of like pushed me out of the way. <laughs> okay, we did it. So coming back, we get back after the three days of riding motorcycles and doing what we do. And I go, okay, we're going to load the bikes back. Brian says, no, no, Mike, I got this. I go, Brian, come on. Well, there's Brian. We lower the ramps on the trailer, and Brian gets the bikes. I'm going to give you the, the short story here. He just rides the bike right up the ramp. Boom, right up the ramp, puts the front wheel in the chalk. Boom, gets the one. The next one just did it. Beautiful. It was great. Now, I thank those guys for helping out and making life real easy. I hope I... Never have to trail a bike someplace again. You know, 27 years owning the Harley dealership, you're going to be trailering bikes a lot. But you got all the people in the service department and taking them to and fro. And I've done it a few times. But for some reason, this one was like, why am I trailering bikes now? Give me, tell me again. But it was worth it. We had a great time. And from now on, we're going to make sure that we find a better way of doing it. So we got back. And we are back. And the other thing that I see, by the way, before I get into the meat of what I wanted to talk about today, is Elon Musk bought, I guess it's 9% of Twitter. Everybody's talking about that. The whole way back, most of the time it's music. Yeah, you know, rock and roll here and there. But there's a little bit of news that you want to listen to. You listen to everything. So far. you're driving 14, 15 hours a day. You got the radio going on and it's like a lot. But the biggest news that I heard of all the other things, you know, everything going on in the Ukraine and what's going on with Russia, what's going on in Europe and the idiocy of Joe Biden continuously. And it is, it's continuous. This is insane that nobody's doing anything about it, but it is what it is. But then Elon Musk steps up, and the First Amendment, the right to free speech, is right there on top where it should be, exactly where it should be. And I'm thankful because the media, who are the people most affected by this freedom of speech issue, which has become a big issue, the cancel culture, when people say things they don't like hearing, they're canceled. And who are they canceled by? They're canceled by these big tech companies, the Twitters and the Facebooks and all these people. And so the fact that Elon Musk steps up and says, this is a front to free speech and freedom of speech is so important. They understand something. Elon Musk was born in South Africa. He's an immigrant. He comes here and he sees all these opportunities and look what he's done. And it's amazing. And yes, when we talk about a nation of immigrants, this is what we're talking about. People like this who come here and see the opportunities and grab this bull by both horns and make it happen. And that's not easy when we talk about leadership. We're going to continue. Here is a great example of leadership. Elon Musk. Man. So he goes and buys like 9%, I guess. And they're all like, okay, we'll get you on the board of directors. And he goes, nah, I don't think so. And I guess the reason is that it would limit his ability to buy more stock in Twitter. 
he would be limited to like 14% or something. And I guess he wants to make a difference in this company. And everybody's saying, you know, let's bring Donald Trump back. Why would you not have Donald Trump on Twitter? It doesn't make any sense. You've got all these foreign terrorists, the Iranians and the ISIS leaders there, but they're all on Twitter, but Donald Trump isn't. It just shows you how the liberal mind thinks. And all you liberals out there, please, if you feel differently, let me know. What's your argument? What is it that threatens anybody by us promoting free speech? Because the left wing, and I'm not talking about just the politicians, I'm talking about Hollywood and the media, they're all concerned that Elon Musk is stepping up and will probably shortly be in control of Twitter. And everybody will be able to enjoy their freedom of speech on Twitter. And, you know, I think what threatens them most is the specter of Donald Trump coming back to Twitter. Boy, I welcome that. That's a big deal. But I'll tell you what else is a big deal. Rolling to remember. It's coming up. And please, the end of May, Memorial Day weekend, remember Friday night, which I think is the 27th of May, is the candlelight vigil at the wall. Please, please be there. I know that my friend Steve is going to be there and some other guys from Rolling Thunder are coming down. Then they're going back to New Jersey for their Rolling Thunder thing. So Steve Prager, great guy. Love that guy. And the other guys coming down with him are going to be there for the candlelight vigil and then go back up to New Jersey for the Rolling Thunder events. God bless them. But we're going to be down there celebrating, celebrating the sacrifices that were made, the men and women on the Vietnam Veterans Wall, but also all those who've served for the last 20 years in Iraq and Afghanistan, in Africa and all over the world. And especially because... The demonstration we're at is about the POWs and the missing in action. We never thought we would see this again. The idea that no American will be left behind was something that we thought we instilled in the American psyche in a way that was indelible, that could never be erased, that could never be violated. And here we have Joe Biden's administration, including the generals and all the Pentagon higher up brass who left Afghanistan the way they did with literally hundreds, if not thousands, and we don't know, Americans left behind. So this is important this year more than ever. I want to see a million bikes there. I want to see so many bikes there that we can't all fit into RFK Stadium. I mean, we barely fit into the Pentagon parking lot when we had a million bikes. And there were more bikes on the street and more spillovers and more people on the outside than we know. But this year, so, so important. Please, if you're even considering it just a little bit, consider it all the way. Come on out. Ride your motorcycle. Drive your car. Take a truck. I don't care. Just get to Washington, D.C. for rolling to remember this Memorial Day. It's so important. Like I said, more important than ever. So we have to talk about Judge Jackson. So Judge Jackson 
will become Justice Jackson as soon as Justice Breyer steps down. Forget about her leniency of pedophiles, her racial activities and her CRT and her ducking questions like when she was asked to describe a woman. Okay, and the hateful names like racist and worse that Republicans who voted no were being called and the celebration that a black woman is now on the Supreme Court instead of the most qualified person for that job. Now, I don't know, maybe Justice Jackson was the most qualified person for the job, but they didn't go out to find the most qualified person. They went out to find a black woman. Instead of the most qualified person on the job, which may well have been a black woman, but now we'll never know. And what does this say about leadership? Wouldn't a real leader, knowing they were in total control of the process, have begun a search for the most qualified and best person for the job? Instead, the Democrats did the same thing they did with the vice presidential choice. And I say Democrats, and you're thinking, oh, it was Biden. But it's not just Biden. It may not be Biden at all. He seems to be playing a role. Have you seen the video of Obama at the White House last week? He's looking like a rock star, and Biden looked lost like a kid with no friends at a party he got invited to by accident. And he's grabbing at the coattails, saying, yo, Mr. Mr. Hi, I'm Joe. Hey, Barack, it's me, Joe. No, Joe Biden is not the man. And he won't even get a best actor. I mean, he's acting. I know he's acting. Not even the best supporting actor. Nope. That trophy belongs to Jen Psaki. And it came with a swinging new job at MSNBC. Right. And she earned it. So how long will it be before her book? <laughs> yeah. Best supporting actress. There's no question. That's Jen Psaki. And she earned that job at MSNBC. The book's coming out. And what will its title be? Will it be a tell-all? Remember Scott McClellan? Scott McClellan was the uh, press secretary for George Bush for, I, I don't know, a relatively short period of time, a year or so, right? And he wrote the book, What Happened, where the former Bush press secretary trashed his former boss and Carl Rope and Scooter Libby and others. Or, or is she going to keep lying and covering up on their behalf? We don't know. Will it come out, by the way, before the November elections? Or is she going to wait until the 2024 presidential election for the maximum impact? So much to think about in so little time. But that's what happens when politics takes priority over policies and principles. Everything is staged. Just like their search for a black woman instead of the most qualified person for the job. It, it's just, it's how they do business. At least they're being honest, you say. That's what people say to me. At least they're being honest. They said they're looking for a black woman. You know, if they say they're looking for the most qualified person, but no, they're looking, you know, I'm not saying it's a game. I'm not, I'm saying that they're virtue signaling. That's what they're doing. That, which, by the way, that's a name I'd like to lose. 
I always see Gutfeld talk about things they, they like to lose uh, words or whatever. Virtual signaling is, is one that I'd like to lose. Or playing to their base, which is also what they're doing. Another name I'd like to lose. But if they had actually searched for the most qualified person, a really, I don't know, maybe a fantastic black woman would be the most qualified person. Or maybe there's two or three or, you know, several people who are just qualified. And maybe the most qualified person is really an amazing white guy. Maybe even a gay white guy, okay? They may have turned up someplace, maybe unexpectedly. What would they have done? What they did was not honest, okay? And it may have cheated America out of the most qualified VP. That's right. They did the same thing finding Kamala Harris. Oh, we're going to find a black woman or a woman of color, however they wanted to say it. But they may just have cheated America out of the most qualified vice president and now a most qualified Supreme Court justice. Two of the most critical and important jobs in our nation, and certainly as it pertains to the vice presidency, at this critical moment in presidential history. Why? How? What are the possibilities? American people were ripped off. We were lied to and cheated. And now for a second time, and no one is holding Biden accountable except me. Here I am. I, I don't hear a lot of other people, you know, talking about the fact that this Kamala Harris choice, let's find a woman of color. Yeah. Why wouldn't he have chosen or even at least searched for, even if you just go through the action, make us feel comfortable. You're the leader. Go and, and say, I'm going to find the most qualified person for the job. Whoops. It's a black woman. Okay. I get it. But at least if you're at the search, people are going to put names and people in front of you. They're going to confront you with somebody who would make a great vice president or who would have made a great vice president. We don't have one right now. And this is bad. You've got a, a president of 79 years old. If he was a, a Republican and I liked him, I'd be saying the same thing, maybe with a little more care and concern. And, oh, my God, Joe's just not looking real healthy right now. Joe's looking a little, yeah. we got to be careful. And then if we had a great vice president, We'd say, well, well, at least we have somebody who's ready to jump in there. Don't expect me to name a vice president. Well, I guess Tulsi Gobbit would have been somebody that I would have said, okay, I don't agree with almost any of the policies, but she's a real person. She's a real leader. That's the only one that comes to my head who's the Democrat side. But at least I wouldn't have felt cheated. I felt like, okay, we have a liberal in there. I don't like those policies. I don't like what's going on. But at least I'd see a competent person. We don't have that. We just don't. So what else is going on in the world that is being affected by these things? The Supreme Court? Okay, I get it. This Contenji Brown-Jackson is a classy lady. She is. I'm not knocking that. There are classy people all over this country who have, you know, I'm not talking about the squad. Those people are not classy at all. 
I'm not talking about the AOCs of the world, but there are other people out there in the Democrat Party, leadership, Democrat leadership, who are classy people who I like. I don't agree with them. But they're not all horror stories. Just their policies may be horror stories. But I, I think even the Democrats are concerned. Look what's going on with the Biden White House. What's going on in Israel? Look at how many people have been killed just in, in the last week in Israel. This is Iran. That's it. What's going on in Africa? What's the current situation with Iran? Saudi Arabia. Do we only get to find out what's going on in our country if the cable news media decides to put it out as one of their two or three minute video sound bites? Is that it? When will we start seeing press conferences put out informing the nation about the opposition's ideas? When are we going to see the Republican Party? It's a big organization. Can't they get things out? Not just advertisements, not just two or three minute sound bites. We want more town hall meetings. We want more visibility about what's going on about all of these issues. When press conferences putting out informing the nation about the ideas, all the ideas, where we're going, what's going on. I know we don't hire congressmen and senators to be actors or pundits or talking heads. We, the people, have a need to know. So CNN or Fox, what's the story, Morning Glory? Who you're going to believe? Maybe there are just too many opinions posing as facts and too many places to get info who give perspectives as if they're truths. And even science changes constantly. The only constant being change. That's what science is about. But nobody's talking to us. That's a fact. How fast did everything change after the 2020 elections? Boom! You had the election, we had contested it, and then within literally minutes, as soon as Biden was inaugurated, the next thing he did was close the Keystone Pipeline. Boom, boom. That was it. He said he's going to end, end our dependent on fossil fuels. Over. Boom. Done. And within minutes, that's the first thing he did. Like a knee-jerk reaction. This is insane. But what about changes to the better? It'll clearly have been better because so much is still to the worst. So many of the changes that started with the Keystone Pipeline, and then, of course, no oil and gas drilling on government properties. That hurt. And then all the other policy changes, which have been nothing but detrimental to the country and inflationary. It's over a year ago. This is April. Last March, a year ago, March of 21, I was talking about inflation and not just gas, just everything. Milk, butter, eggs, ammunition, <laughs> everything. They're blaming this on Putin. Well, stop blaming it on Putin. It's silly. Blame it on throwing so much money in the economy and chasing the, the limited amount of goods is all this money and the price of oil. Everything we do is based in fossil fuel. It's the way it is. Yeah, you can gradually wean yourself away 
but you can't go cold turkey like that. That hurts. The economy of the United States of America isn't some junkie who's shooting up on a regular basis and you just throw him in there and say, cold turkey. And how much he suffers, listen, a week later, he's going to be thankful. No, that's not the case. And that's how they're treating this. Cold turkey, they want us to go six, seven. I, I understand up in L.A., it's $8 a gallon of gasoline. What about the Midwest and the freezing cold and what they have to pay? It's crazy. But on the other side, it's like maybe there would clearly have been better if the people start to realize that they've been lied to on a grand scale by the mainstream media politicians, they thought they should believe in the science community, the teachers unions and other activists. And if people start looking behind the curtain, not being lazy, thinking for themselves and demanding more from our leaders, that's good. Even if it's so bad, it teaches you that you can handle things that are this bad. If it gives you the confidence to believe in yourself as bad as things are, then it will also give you the, the motivation to do what has to be done to handle, if not fix, the problem. We've been here before. Let me clarify this. I said handle. Handle the problem doesn't mean fixing it. It means dealing with it. What do we have to do to deal with inflation? What do we have to do to deal with a military that, by the way, was depleted when Trump came into office? Didn't have enough ammunition to fight a war on two fronts. Didn't have enough ammunition to fight a war on one front. It was depleted. And Trump built it back, okay? So you got to handle it. We are now back in that same situation, only it's worse because you got Lloyd Austin the Secretary of Defense saying that the biggest enemy, the worst threat to the United States of America is white supremacist, white nationalism. What is he talking about? We're on the edge of World War III. We have China rattling their sabers like never before. We have issues that are right in the wheelhouse of the Department of Defense, and it's not a racist thing. It's not white people. It's not black people. It's not gay people. It's the real threat to the very existence, existential threats to the United States of America. And we have to handle it. Are you going to fix it? You got to handle it first. You got to deal with it. Can you fix it? Can you fix the China situation? with a depleted military, you got to fix the military first. Then maybe you go after China. But it's going to take us a while. Although I got to say, Trump got in office, it didn't take long to fix it. And then Biden got in office, it didn't take long to break it. So I want to be clear on that. Handling the problem and fixing the problem are two different things. We've been here before. It doesn't seem like it, but we have. I didn't think we'd get through the 60s, but we did. And if the situation is more dire now, the problem's deeper, the stakes higher, we are better prepared with better tools. We're much more capable 
of changing bad policy, bad habits, and bad leaders. Look how, again, how quickly Trump got out of the rut Obama put us in. How fast Reagan, by the way, take a look at that. How fast Reagan got us out of the problems Jimmy Carter got us into. That was bad, too. A lot of people don't remember. A lot of people weren't born. You know, one of the reasons why I feel it's so important, I'm a witness to history. I was very involved in all these issues back then. And I was there. I can tell you what it was like. All the problems that Jimmy Carter got us into. And some of them, by the way, going back to Carter, and I don't want to go all the way back to Johnson. I could do that. I can go back to Kennedy. But we'll just go to Jimmy Carter. Some of it's very familiar. Iran, OPEC oil prices and capacity as well as prices, standing on line for hours to get gas. Yeah, behind 20 or 30 other cars because there was no gas. You couldn't get it, okay? So OPEC oil prices and capacity. Russia was still the Soviet Union. If you don't remember the Soviet Union and the Berlin Wall, it's because you weren't born yet, because you don't remember or you were five years old when those things were going on. It was horrible. The Soviet Union, that's Russia today, controlled these countries. So that's what Putin wants back. Russia was still the Soviet Union, and Israel was having major issues with an empowered Yasser Arafat and the PLO. By the way, that was strictly because of Jimmy Carter, okay? Bad leadership, nice man. Jimmy Carter, whoever would say a bad thing about Jimmy Carter is a personal. I mean, the furthest thing from anything even close to corrupt or anything. Yeah, his brother Billy was a little nut job. <laughs> but, you know, those are the things you remember. But it wasn't Joe Biden, his brother Jim. It wasn't a corrupt leader of a country like it is today. But it was bad. It was bad. Let me tell you something. Empowering Yasser Arafat and the PLO, what was going on in Israel, it was really bad. Racial issues, are they as bad as today? With the rise of Al Sharpton, that was what was going on then. And Louis Farrakhan, okay? Yeah, Louis Farrakhan hates Jews, hates white people. Major leader of a black community. When you talk about white supremacy, why don't you talk about black supremacy? That's Louis Farrakhan. That's Al Sharpton. I don't care what you say. I knew him. I met with him. I debated him in New York City at my then favorite cigar pod, De La Fuente. <laughs> That's right. On 6th Avenue and what, 56, 56 and 57. What a great cigar bar. Lionel De La Fuente, a Cuban immigrant, came here, I believe it was 1959. And then eventually, again, the success stories. And uh, Lionel owned, it was just a great cigar bar. It's still there. It's got a different name. He sold it maybe, I don't know, seven or eight years ago. But don't tell me how sharp it is. is a nice guy. He's a racist, okay? And, and by the way, Fox News didn't exist. We did it then, and we'll do it again. All these things. Yeah, maybe China looms larger than ever. And the, the left, yes, they've totally weaponized climate change and race issues. Race issues are more severe, but 
if race has been weaponized, it's only a short time before the people realize they've been used. And I'm talking about Americans, black, white, any color you want to. We're all Americans. They've just taken this a step, in my opinion, a step too far. You can't pit me against my black friends. You can't do that. Yeah, we're on different sides right now. We disagree on issues, but there are people I've known for years and years because they're black and right now they're parroting things that Lloyd Austin say. We argue about it. We talk about Black Lives Matter. It offends me. It offends me that they're thinking I have some white privilege. That doesn't mean that I care less about them as human beings and friends of fellow Americans. I care just as much, maybe more, because I want this to stop. I don't want this weaponizing of racial issues. You know, when we've come so far, we should have passed these things and everybody should be celebrating. Sometimes things have to boil before they boil over. I know that we need better leadership. I know that's what I've been talking about on Roll Right Radio. And again, I, I just to go over some of the things that, that I've gone over today, Katenji Brown Jackson, this newest Supreme Court justice, let's hope that she was the most qualified person for that job. Was she? Why isn't there an uproar in this country? Why wasn't there? The minute that Biden stated he's looking for a black woman, it doesn't make any sense. And if you listen to her acceptance speech, you would think that it's only because Biden targeted a black woman that she got tapped for the job. Why is that? That's just not right. And of course, no mention of Clarence Thomas. He might be the most, what's the word I'm looking for? The senior member, I don't mean senior in age, I mean senior member in qualification, in the steady hand on the Supreme Court for the last, I don't know how many years. When he first stepped up after that horrible, contentious, the whole process that he had to go through, he called it a lynching, a modern-day lynching. I think he called it an electronic listing or whatever. But it was horrible. And it took him a while after he got on the court to settle in. But he's been the steady hand on that court. And now, of course, his wife, Virginia, Ginny, because they are not protecting Clarence Thomas because his wife was texted or something, some positive things about January 6th. Is it a crime to think the election was stolen? I think the election was stolen. There, I said it for the hundred thousandth time. And it's not a crime. So they, they want him to recuse himself. This is the left. Want Clarence Thomas to recuse himself from anything he had to do with January 6th because his wife texted things positive about January 6th. Now, the left 
is supposedly the pro-women, the feminist, what Rush Limbaugh used to call the feminazis. Uh, that's the left. So why doesn't Ginny Thomas have the right to her own opinion that don't affect or aren't affected by her husband's opinion? Nope. When it's convenient for them, you know, in any other situation, she'd be celebrating as an individual, a woman with her own mind, but not in the case that she's not a liberal, and especially if she's a conservative. So once more, the hypocrisy of the left shows its ugly face. By the way, again, not you know, to keep going up and back and up and back, but I'm going to. The PLH, the Peace, Love, and Happiness event, John Paul DeJore's birthday party this weekend was concluded, and it raised, I just got, $297,000 from a little over 100 attendees. I think there are a little more than that, maybe 150 to 200 attendees. Um, raised just about $300,000 to do a lot of things, including to buy special wheelchairs for injured first responders, military, wounded soldiers, sailors, airmen, the Marines. Just a great three-day event to raise that kind of money. I'm proud to have attended, and I'm sure Petrina is as well. We had a great time. Expensive coming back. I think it cost almost more to attend the event than the donation <laughs> that we made to the event. It's ridiculous. We should not be in this situation, but we are, and it's going to take great leadership to get us out of it. So I'm New York Mike. Thanks for listening to Roll Right Radio. Getting ready to roll right to Washington, D.C. in a very short period of time. And I want to remind you again of rolling to remember. Don't forget to remember. <laughs> rolling to remember. I'm um, New York Mike. Thanks for listening to Roll Right Radio. I'm out. Thanks for listening to the Roll Right Radio podcast. Listen, follow, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.